doesn't it? Happy Mother's Day. A year ago, my son Ryan gave me a wonderful Mother's Day gift. He said, Mom, I know you've been dreaming of having a garden, so I'm going to give you a garden. And you know what I said was, right. <laughs> because I knew how much labor was going to be required, but that boy got out there with a pickaxe and started digging a trench down the hill for water. And along with friends, he, they took down a section of the fence and, and uh, had brought in a tractor, moved some earth around, and little by little, bit by bit, over a year, it came to pass, and this is what it looks like now. And I'm so grateful. Yeah. Now, since he was off to college when it was actually planted, I said to him when he came home on spring break, I said, you got to go down the hill with me, bud, and let's look and celebrate together. But while we stood there looking, I said... But look, I've already got an intruder. My lettuce was chewed right off, this little plant. And I said, I think Mr. Al was not doing his job. And he, he just stood there for a moment and looked at it. And he goes, well, Mom, when we put that section of fence back in, we put it in upside down. And I said, what? And I looked and I remembered deer and rabbit fencing you guys know at the top it's got the big holes right at the bottom it's got the little holes to keep critters like rabbits out of the garden but you have to install it correctly correct right well how did ryan see that so quickly when i couldn't see it well, it's because he's got some experience with fencing and how did my friend know how to put in some water for me it's because He's got experience with the drip system. And see, everything I do with that garden is in slow motion. Because I don't know anything. It's all hard work. It requires tremendous effort for me, and I'm relying on people who have some experience. And that's kind of like what we're doing here. Those of us who want to know what it's like to live the good life, you know, the abundant life that Jesus told us he came to bring to us. We are paying attention to someone who has some experience, this guy Peter. So right now, would you get out your outline? It looks like this, along with your Bible. And let's listen to what this guy Peter had to say. I mean, can you imagine what he got to do? living in the presence of Jesus every day. I mean, paying attention to what God says and how he thinks and how he responds to life. That's what Peter got to do. So let's hear what Peter says about this good life. He says, make every effort to respond to God's promises. He's saying, make every effort. He's going, work it. Remember last week, Ron talked to us and laid some more ground soil for us. And, and there's something that we've got to review because it's so important. You see, we all know that we are saved by faith, right? We, we put our faith in the grace of God and we are his kid. But right here, Peter is saying, make every effort. That means work hard. Put your time in the garden. Don't expect the good life to just be dropped in your lap. Well, if you're not clear about this, you could start to get a little confused. You could say, well, which is it? Is it grace or is it hard work? Well, if you weren't here last week, I want to invite you to go back and listen to it because Ron helped us clear it up. In, in fact, he shared a quote from Dallas Willard that helped me understand this so well. I just want to read it again. 
Dallas says grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Earning is an attitude, but effort is an action. And here Peter is saying take action. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. He says supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me give you some synonyms. I put it on your notes as well. Some translations call it goodness or virtue. It's a well-functioning life. It means practical holiness. He's saying the first way we're to express our faith is learning to obey the Lord's teachings from our heart. That means you want to do it. It means you're working for the common good, whatever benefits your family or society. What will benefit everybody? So this has helped me to ask, what motivates me, even as a wife? Or as a mom. And in order to unpack this topic of moral excellence or goodness today, especially on Mother's Day, we're going to look at Proverbs 31. So go ahead and turn to that chapter in your Bible. Some of you know that chapter. It's famous. Well, actually, it's famously disliked by a lot of women because it's easy to think it's just a list of expectations. And one blog I found was entitled, When You Feel Like Kicking the Proverbs 31 Woman in the Teeth. <laughs> she's saying, how do I stack up to this spiritual superstar? I mean, she's feeling guilty. Well, you might be feeling that today already, simply because it's Mother's Day. In fact, it might have been hard for you to come today. Because motherhood or family life may not have stacked up the way that you dreamed it would. And if you knew that I was using Proverbs 31 as our text, you might really have stayed home. But listen, God wants you here because he cares about you. He knows you're doing your best. And he wants you to know that he's cheering for you. In a while, we're going to pray for you. And it's my prayer that you're going to know that God is cheering you on. Now, this chapter, it was not written to induce guilt. It says at the beginning of it, it was written by a mother to her son. There was a guy named King Lemuel whose mother dictated this to him word for word. It's a poem, actually. He wrote it down because, see, she wanted her son to know what a man should not miss about a woman. He want, she wanted him to realize some things that are usually invisible to men. So, guys, this talk is for you today, too. In fact, I have two hopes. First, for gals. Whether you're a mother or not, all women, I want you to be able to see how much God values the good stuff you cultivate in your life. And guys, since it's Mother's Day, it's my hope that when you leave, you're going to be better equipped to honor and appreciate and value that woman or those women in your life. Your mom, your stepmom, a grandmother, maybe your wife, maybe the mother of your kids. It's important that you acknowledge her today. Now, if we know how Lemuel's mother wrote this chapter, it helps us understand what her intention was. You know, I never knew before that this was written as a poem, and it's actually an acrostic where she wrote every next line starting with the next letter from the Hebrew alphabet. And when you know that, it makes it, it clear that it's, it's not building a list of tasks for women to do. She's stringing pearls. She's talking about qualities. 
in various women that, that could show up, qualities to be admired. It's literally there in the Bible to help a man praise a woman. Now, guys, you know what? Acknowledging her, maybe even pitching in and helping her is really valuable. Uh, one of our friends told, told us a story that one day his, his, it was his wife's birthday and he said to her, honey, you do so much around here. I mean, today I am going to clean the poop out of the cat box. It was in the garage, been ignored. You know, he goes, you know, I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm going to clean out the cat poop. And he goes, after that, I'm going to take the kids to school and I'm going to vacuum. I'm going to pick the kids up. I'm going to arrange a babysitter. I'm going to take you out for a nice dinner. I'm going to give you a back rub. And she said, wait. She said, you had me at cat poop. It's, a, it's important. It's meaningful. So let's check it out. How good is a good woman? Well, look at here. It says in verse 10 that she is the most precious treasure a man can find. And we're going to look at just four ways that are listed. We're going to turn them into an acrostic ourselves. We're going to use G-O-O-D so that you remember that we are not making a checklist here. That this is a picture of poetry. For you. Okay, the good woman, here's the G, gazes at the future with a smile. In verse 25, she laughs without fear at the future. What about you? Do you look at your future with a smile or with anxiety? Do you anticipate a feeling of satisfaction or does the future just scare you? Well, one mom wanted to kind of safeguard her future from anxiety. So she was a mom of five unruly little kids. So she went and bought this really big playpen. And the neighbor saw her bring this new playpen into the house. So the next day, when he saw her out front, he asked her, how's that new playpen working out? And she said, oh, it's great. If I sit right in the middle, the kids can't get to me all day. There's an approach to avoiding anxiety. Well, Proverbs 31 says that the good person can look at the future without anxiety and anticipate the good life. Now, what is the good life to you? Well, some people consider the good life to mean pleasure. That comes from stuff and social status and experiences that are decadent. You know, calories and consumer goods. And so we're going to take a comparison here between that view of happiness to what Lemuel's mom said, that a woman who instead of pleasure makes it her goal, her life ambition, to live a life of virtue and goodness, that she is the one who can actually smile at the future. Let's compare these two, okay? Pleasure brings a rush of intense feeling, even though it's fleeting and short-lived. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with pleasure. I love a good movie or a boat ride with the wind in my hair or a romantic dinner with my husband. I mean, I'd rather have fun than not. But listen, think of the big picture and compare pleasure to the pursuit of goodness, of virtue, where I am living for a cause that is much larger than pleasing myself. I mean, compared to the intense feeling of pleasure, goodness brings a more settled tone, and it's more permanent and stable. 
And this affects how I see the future because pleasure is dependent on external circumstances, like my team winning the game. But goodness, on the other hand, springs from within, you know, this yearning to embrace whatever pleases God. Pleasure can actually be addictive and enslaving because we're always looking for the next fix, you know? Day after day, night after night, we're, we're looking outside of ourselves, constantly taking our own happiness temperature. But when we cultivate goodness, it is so satisfying on the inside that it's actually empowering and liberating. You know, goodness colors everything about a person. I have a friend named Don who is in heaven now, who when he used to use a public restroom, he would take his paper towel after washing his hands and he would wipe down the sink so it would be nicer for the next visitor. He was thoughtful, and that's good. I have another friend, Renee, who has told me she's donated so much blood that she's up to a couple of gallons now. But what... What struck me is that she doesn't donate blood when the blood mobile comes to her workplace because that's company time. She does it on Sundays because she doesn't want to rob from her employer, and that's integrity. Those are good qualities. You know, when we approach life like that, with this eagerness to be virtuous on the inside, we can smile at the future because, see, life might become a bit void of pleasure. In fact, Life can get really hard for you and me. But there will never be a shortage of opportunities to live life with this eagerness to share the goodness of God with others. I love how it says it in the message version of Psalm 40. It says, blessed are you, that means happy, who give yourselves over to God and turn your backs on the world's sure thing. It's talking about the cultural view of happiness. And ignore what the world worships, because the world is a huge stockpile of God wonders and God thoughts. I love that. It's the biblical view of happiness. And you know, if we keep that kind of a mindset, then we can smile at the future. There's no need for anxiety. Well, next, the good woman, the woman who adds goodness to her faith, Oh, she opens her mouth with wisdom. Look at this. When she speaks, her words are wise. And kindness is the rule when she gives instructions. You know, we just talked about a freedom from anxiety. Well, there's a close connection between that and a practical wisdom for life. The wisest people I know are those who hope in the Lord. They have this confidence because they have quieted their souls like a child at its mother's breast. But those who are most anxious, most tense, most fretful about the future, those are the people whose advice I bank on the least. See, women, there's a wisdom that your family and your friends and your associates are going to need, and it will only come from a heart that has been renovated by goodness as you trust in the Lord. There were two sisters named Corey and Betsy. You might have heard this story. They were imprisoned in a concentration camp in World War II. And I love it because this one sister spoke with such wisdom. See, they were in terrible conditions. They were crammed into overcrowded little dirty shacks 
They were, they were filthy. They were underfed. They were crawling with lice. But the worst part of the treatment they received was from the abusive, cruel guards. And when they were moved to yet another horrible dwelling, they found that it was infested with fleas. And Betsy spoke up out of wisdom, and she said to Corey that they needed to thank God for everything about this little shack, including the fleas. Because that morning they had read together in their smuggled Bible that we should thank God in every circumstance. Well, Corey thought she was nuts, but they went ahead and did it. They thanked God, and then they found out later that those fleas were actually keeping the cruel guards from even coming near them. I'm talking about the story of Corey Tenboom. You may know her name, but her sister Betsy had cultivated a goodness on the inside. And so when she opened her mouth, it was with wisdom. So the good woman gazes at the future with a smile. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the next, though, is she outfits her life with strength. It says in verse 25, she is clothed with strength and with dignity. Now, what do you often get your first impression from about a woman when you meet her for the first time? I mean, it's often her clothes, isn't it? Her clothes say so much about her personality, about her values, maybe even about her mood. You know, I know that I wear big earrings when I am feeling sassy. So, honey, if I come out wearing big, audacious earrings, you better watch out. I love this verse, though. I think a good woman is clothed in strength and dignity. But many people think that a woman who loves God is weak and timid and never has anything to say. But you know, nothing could be further from accurate because really she is the one who's actually fulfilling the purpose for which her creator so masterfully designed her. She's a strong woman. She's able. She's valiant. I mean, this kind of woman is valued all through the Bible. Think of Miriam, Moses' sister. I mean, she was a musician, and one of her songs made it into the Bible. And then there was Deborah. She was literally a general who led the armies of Israel into battle. Think of Priscilla. She was one of the best New Testament teachers. In fact, some theologians credit her with having co-authored the book of Hebrews. And then I always think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Talk about a strong woman. How she stood she stood in front of her son as he died. The rest of us would have collapsed. She was strong. She was clothed in strength and dignity. I mean, there were women throughout the Bible. I think of Naomi and Abigail and Esther. You see, Lemuel's mother said, a good woman is bound to be strong. The Bible consistently praises that kind of woman. Why? Well, verse 10 says she is worth far more than rubies. And to put that into perspective, recently a single ruby sold for $5.8 million. Now, we're going to look at some of the ways it lists her strength here. In verse 15, it says she gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household. She gets up while it's dark. And then in 18, it says her lights burn late into the night. And I've heard women say, see, I don't like the Proverbs 31 gal. She never sleeps. <laughs> well, some of you have young kids, and you know what I'm talking about. 
you're struggling to get the sleep you need. And it's not saying that this is how it should be. It's just saying this is how it is. And guys, today would be a great day for you to recognize the strength that's showing up in that mother when she just gets up and meets the challenges of motherhood head on. And it's not just in her home, either, that she's strong. This chapter even describes how she's in real estate. I mean, she owns a vineyard. She's not just a homemaker. This passage is praising the whole spectrum of what women do. It reminds me of the old World War II poster that said, We can do it! But whoa, we are not all strong in the same ways, are we? Look at verse 19. It says, her hands are busy spinning thread. Her fingers twisting fiber. What is that talking about? Well, some of these categories may apply to my life, but making my own cloth, it's not happening. And then it says in verse 22, she makes her own bedspreads. Well, that makes me think of crafts and Pinteresty projects. You know what? I hate crafts. <laughs> One of the most liberating moments in my life was when I was looking at my little sewing machine with dread, thinking, why can't I be more like my mother? And this voice came through the fog, and it said, just because you know how to sew doesn't mean you have to. I swear I heard angels sing. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point, ladies. <laughs> Remember, we're stringing pearls. We're not building a case for comparing ourselves. But this woman is a woman of, of virtue, and she's strong in whatever pursuits she chooses. Well, next, the good woman, the dean, is she douses others with blessing. In verse 21, she has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. See, that word household in her culture wasn't just referring to her family. It was talking about servants and helpers. It's saying that this good heart in this woman is blessing many people. The excellence of her character is dousing others with blessing. She's a generous boss. She's a good tipper. And look at her in verse 11. It says, her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good. You know, I love to see a marriage where this kind of dousing is going on, where it's evident that both husband and wife have cultivated goodness on top of their faith. I'm telling you, this is better than marriage counseling. It says that one of the things that grows is in that husband is trust toward his wife because she lives with this eye on blessing and benefiting others. She won't squander the family's livelihood on frivolous purchases. She has the complete trust of her husband where finances are concerned because she's working with him and for him. She's not working against him. But far better than financial support is the moral support she brings her husband. It says in verse 23, Actually, this verse seems out of place in a poem about a woman. Look at this. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. Now that's referring to a public place where the men would go to conduct official business. It's saying that a man who is backed up by a woman 
who has embraced goodness in her life, that that man has a distinctive asset, that she blesses his work through the virtue in her life. By the way, she has made sacrifices to support him. She brings him good. Now, it's not that she gets lost in the relationship. She has her own personality, her own gifts, her own strengths, her own profession, but she's not ashamed to be inseparably bound as one to her husband. And she's not embarrassed to be called his wife or even to have her own achievements stated in association with him. You know, this approach to marriage, it flies in the face of today's secular culture. because And it creates some tension. I just get that. And I have had moments, especially as I get older and one kid has flown the nest and another kid is a teenager, when I wonder, is this all there is for me? I mean, I start to compare myself with others, maybe even with my husband. And I say, when is my next opportunity going to break? Now, I know there's nothing wrong with me looking ahead, but I'm talking about a temptation toward discontent or self-pity or worrying about my pride. You remember that garden scene I told you about in that upside-down fence? Well, after Ryan went back to school one Saturday, I was standing looking at that fence, and I said to myself, enough waiting on a man. I'm going to do it. I mean, we can do it, right, women? So I got down there all by myself, and I started. And the first thing I had to do was dig up the part of the fence that had gotten buried by rocks and dirt. So I was down there on my knees digging. And while I was down there, something unusual happened for me. God spoke to me. Now, he leads us all the time, but I'm talking about one moment that I've only known once before in my life. When I when I hear a word in my head, I don't know where it came from. And what happened 14 years ago is we were considering adoption. And the night before we were to meet a, a woman who was about to have a baby, I suddenly had the word grafted in my head out of nowhere. So I went and looked it up and I found it in my Bible, referring to the moment when God adopts you and me into his family, when we put our trust in him. So I knew then that this baby was going to be ours. And indeed, that little baby is our Jordan. So I learned to pay attention. So here I was that Saturday, down by that fence, digging, and I had a word pop into my head. I didn't even know the definition of this word. Maybe you do. The word is hubris. H-U-B-R-I-S. Hubris. And I went, what is that word? What does that even mean? So I went, I looked it up, and here's the definition. Excessive pride or self-confidence, arrogance. When I saw that, it made sense to me because it just reinforced the message I've been getting from my Bible and from hanging out with my mentor. I realized there on my knees in the dirt that God was saying to me personally and gently, Kim, pride is a problem. Hubris is a problem. Because it breeds discontent. It's kind of like this upside-down fence. Because the good life that I have for you gets vulnerable with this upside-down fence. And it starts to get chewed up. And when you start murmuring, what about me? Then you're missing out on the joy that I have for you right now, today. 
So for me, maybe this is going to look different for you. I realize that pride is often what blocks the path to the good life. And for me, keeping the fence upright means saying no to me first thinking. Staying on my knees in my heart and choosing to douse others with blessing, starting with my husband, especially him. You know, I want to greatly enrich his life, like this verse says. I told him this while he pastors Twin Cities. You know, I want to let that be enough for me and trust God to fill up my joy. And I just want to pause for a moment and speak to single moms. I've been talking out of these verses about marriage, and maybe you're not married and you're parenting solo. And I just want to say I believe you are doing one of the very hardest jobs that there is to do. And I, yeah, let's acknowledge that. I know that Mother's Day may be bittersweet for you. You, you may not even be sure if anybody's noticing all the hard work you put in. But, and those of you who know a single mom, I just want to encourage you, find some way to bless her today. But single moms, I just want to say, God is noticing. He sees. He's paying attention to all you are doing. And I just want to ask you to really tune in close to this next verse we're coming to. Because it talks about what God values the most in a woman. So let's all think. Overall, what can we say makes a woman good? We can sum it all up with this verse. It's pretty well known. Charm is deceptive and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Charm is deceptive. What is that saying? Well, it's not saying that she lacks charm and beauty. Well, you sure are no beauty, but you sure are religious. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> it's not saying that. Okay, this just means that outer beauty yeah, how many of us are living proof of that? How many of you are sitting next to someone who is living proof? No, don't raise your hand. See, that word deceptive, it just means sham or facade. It means it's not the real you anyway. But, you know, what is the real you and what is really valuable? What the Lord treasures is, is a woman who fears the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean she's supposed to be afraid of God? Well, that can't be because every time God or one of his messengers appears to someone in the Bible, what are the first words that they say? Fear not. That's right. So how can God say, don't be afraid, but that this woman should fear the Lord? What's this about? Well, it just means to have a respect and awe and astonishment at God. Instead of going, I have God all figured out. No, it's to say, God. I can't wrap my mind around you. You are mysterious. See, that's who this woman is on the inside. Someone who says, Lord, in my heart, I'm down on my knees. I'm blown away by you. I love that picture of humility. That's what true beauty is. It makes me think of that movie I loved recently. Maybe you saw it. The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Do you remember this line? Beautiful things don't ask for attention. That's true. And this is what God values in a woman, is a fear of the Lord. It says in verse 31, let her deeds publicly declare her praise. 
And you know, that word praise, it comes from a root word, halal, that means to make a show, to acknowledge her, to boast, to rave. And guys, it does not mean, just take some advice from a woman, it does not mean later you go home and you say, uh, you know, uh, what Kim was talking about. It does not mean that, okay? It means you use your words and tell her how awesome she is. In fact, right now, we're just gonna do it, okay? So moms, I'm gonna ask you to stay seated, and guys and kids, you stand up, and let's make some noise, let's rave, and let's shout. Let's go, come on. Okay? If you want to add goodness or virtue to your life, man or woman, mom or not, if you want to add goodness to your life, this is how you do it. You spend time with Jesus. You might be here today thinking, you know, I've blown it. I mean, I've got regrets. How can I ever think of adding virtue or goodness to my life? I mean, you might be thinking that you're kind of lost, or you're a partial failure, or maybe you're always angry or depressed, and that may be true. But listen, there is something you can do starting today. There's an effort you can invest yourself in, and it's to spend time with Jesus, to do life with him. It says in Psalm 96 that honor and majesty, majesty and strength and beauty are in his presence. And you know, to reflect his beauty, we need to behold his beauty. And so as you do life with him, hour by hour, as you invite him in, he's going to begin to clothe you on the inside with a goodness that can't help but come out. Let's talk to him about that right now. Should we pray? Now, moms, I just want you to know that at the end of your notes today, there's a simple Mother's Day prayer. I'm just going to start with that. God, help me to be today who you made me to be and who my family needs me to be. And Lord, we know that every woman in this room has been fearfully and wonderfully made by your hand with different gifts and different strengths. And I just pray that the, these women today would allow themselves to, to feel your affection and your praise over the way they've been created and, Lord, especially over their choice to fear you, to stay on their knees in their hearts. And, Lord, I'm thinking right now of the women in this room who long to be a mom, who are dealing with infertility, who are still hoping, Lord, like I was one, one year, about 21 years ago, um, and I know, Lord, that this is a place of pain, and I just want to pray that you would encourage that woman and that she would realize that fearing you will keep her in a place of safety and that she really can embrace the goodness you have for her and the good life you have for her this very day. And now I ask, Lord, that you'd help every one of us to long to grow in you and to know this good life that you offer us. Help us, Lord, to work it hard 
and to apply ourselves so that we can know you better and love you more. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.